But thanks for being here, and thank you everybody for joining online. Sorry, we're having some technical difficulties there at the beginning, but hopefully those are all straightened out. Now, this morning we're going to continue with the epic story that is the Acts of the Apostles. We read chapter 24 last week in which the Apostle Paul, who was on trial for his life, essentially, he stood before this governor, Felix, trying to make the most of his opportunity in that setting in the courtroom. Paul, of course, being under house arrest in the governor's mansion, if you'll recall. He took advantage of his chance to witness for the cause of Christ, both in public in the courtroom and in private with the governor himself. He spoke with such conviction and such assurance and such urgency that the brash governor was frightened by his language and the way that he was speaking when he heard Paul talk about his faith and talk about this idea of righteousness or self-control or the judgment to come. These were the things that Paul was discussing with him and all of a sudden Felix said, you know what, let's talk about it another time. He got a little afraid and said, let's, we'll, we'll circle back another day or, or whatever while he was contemplating the urgency and the seriousness with which Paul was sharing the cause of Christ. And it made us ask ourselves last week, do our conversations and do our lives and does our witness about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done in our lives, do these things in any way, shape, or form invoke the fear of God when we talk about them? The reverence that someone would say, wow, I can't do nothing with that. I have to at least consider it. I can push it away or I can embrace it. But what is our conversation like? What are our lives like when we're the one who's on the witness stand, so to speak, as Paul was in Acts 24? Paul wasn't afraid to confront people with the truth, but he did it in love and in grace. He said later in one of the letters, let your words be gracious and seasoned with salt, as it were. So he spoke to the Colossians with grace, but he also spoke with conviction such that a wicked tyrant, Felix, had to perk up and pay attention when Paul spoke. And I pray that we speak and live our lives and conduct ourselves in witness for Christ, whether with words or with just the lives that we lead. I pray that we do it in such a way and sometimes with urgency and conviction so that people are confronted with the truth. Do it in grace, do it in love, but I pray we're doing the same as Paul was here with some sense of urgency to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And that brings us to Acts 25 this morning and to Paul's appeal to Caesar. His appeal to Caesar. Paul was, if nothing else, he was engaged with the time and the culture in which he lived. Whether it was the Hebrew culture in the context of all the synagogues that he visited or the Roman culture as a Roman citizen, it was complicated for Paul. Think about that. He was a Roman Jew. Consider that for a minute. And the Jews hated him, and the Romans didn't know what to make of him. Thankfully, he wasn't alone on his journey. He had some friends with him along the way, and he had, of course, his Lord and Savior with him. But what I am hoping we'll see this morning is that with each step of his epic journey, Paul is engaging the culture around him and not trying to distance himself from it. He's engaging the culture. He was quick to acknowledge his strict religious culture and his religious upbringing, his Judaic uh, upbringing, whether he was referencing the rabbi who taught him at yeshiva or talking about how he was ceremonially circumcised 
He wasn't afraid and didn't shy away from his Judaic upbringing, but that was only part of it because he was also part of the secular culture. He didn't shy away from that either. In fact, he identified with his Roman citizenship. He asked his inquisitors, is this any way for you to treat a Roman citizen of which I'm one? I was born here and I'm a Roman citizen. And we'll see that again this morning as Paul again uses his God-given position that he has to appeal to Caesar. Think of it in our day like someone who is appealing to uh, the, the Supreme Court all the way up to the highest court in the land. Paul stood before the Jewish council and essentially lost. They were ready to rip him to shreds. Whether he was right or wrong, they were going to kill him. And before that, he, or after that, he made his appeal uh, to, to Felix, the governor of the land, the Roman governor, actually another Jewish guy who was also involved with the Romans, who became the first slave who became a governor of a province in the Roman Empire. So he was engaged with his culture, as we should be with ours. And I think we're supposed to be aware and apprised of our unique lot in life, not just the challenges. We're all familiar with our challenges, and we want to talk about those all the time, but we have unique positions and unique privileges that God has granted to us at well. And Paul wasn't afraid to identify with those and to acknowledge them. And we also should acknowledge how, acknowledge how God's seen fit, according to his will, to position us for his purpose. And that's what we see Paul doing here this morning. We're going to consider his life in Acts 25. We're going to consider also the life of Joseph for just a couple of minutes because we see a common thread here that's running through each of their life experiences and actually throughout all of Scripture. And that thread looks something like this, and I hope we'll see it in our own lives. God is positioning you for His purpose. For His purpose. You may feel as though your life is small or quiet or mundane or average, or you may feel as though you face difficulty and challenge, maybe even been conspired against or felt like life wasn't going your way. But in the final analysis, God wants to set the stage for you to give an epic testimony and to be a star witness for him. That's what this whole book of the Acts is about. God can take and God will take all the stuff, all the hapless circumstances, the false accusations, the wrongful treatment, the things and the people and situations that you believe may have slowed your progress or your ministry or your success in the kingdom. He will use those very circumstances in order to properly position you for his kingdom purpose according to his will and for your own good. This is what's possible with God, and that's what we see in the life of Christ. We see it in the life of Joseph, and we see it in the life of Paul the Apostle, and, and we'll see it right here in Acts 25 again this morning, and I'm praying we can see ourselves in this today. Because God had his hand on Paul and Joseph and Jesus, and if he had his hand on them and was preparing them and positioning them for his purpose, then maybe, maybe God is preparing you and positioning you for the purpose that he has for your life. Amen. 
Let's remember this is the setting as we look at Acts 25. Paul's in a good position. He's in a palace. He's in protective custody. He's safe from people who are trying to kill him. He has access to his friends. He has freedom in many ways, but he's under house arrest for two years as his captor Felix, the evil governor, tries to extort money from him. And now a two full two years later, Felix has been replaced by a new governor. And that's where we begin chapter 25. Festus, the new governor, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential man among you, men among you who are go there with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. After he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And after Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove, while Paul said in his own defense, I've committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal now, where I ought to be tried. I've done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if none of these things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus had conferred. After he conferred with his council, he answered and said, You've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Now when several days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice's sister arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the visiting king, saying, there's a man who was left as a prisoner by the last governor Felix, and the Jews brought, him, brought charges against him, and I answered them that it's not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. And when the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss as to how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa, curiosity was piqued. He said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, Festus said, you shall hear him. So on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium, accompanied by commanders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with me, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I've decided 
to send him. Yet, I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore, I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write, for it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. This is the setting for the Apostle Paul, and it begins in verse 1, Luke says, Festus, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So the new governor arrives on the scene, the new procurator of Judea in Caesarea, and within just a couple of days, he makes the trip up to Jerusalem, not because it's the capital city or the seat of the government, but because it's an important city, for a number of reasons, a city where there's a lot of controversy and a lot of activity takes place. Uh, rebellions were staged from in and around Jerusalem. And his predecessor, Felix, was undoubtedly uh, said to be by historians an evil or selfish ruler, a poor ruler really in general. But history tells us that Festus was basically a good ruler. He was a wise governor despite all the problems that Felix left him. And just the simple fact that as soon as he comes to town, a couple days later, he goes up to Jerusalem, it shows the, the wisdom of his leadership. He goes straight to the area of conflict that's in the land as a good leader and says, we've got to figure out what's going on here. Why is there all this conflict that's happening here? And immediately he begins to address the problems. And so then he returns to Caesarea but not before visiting this area of conflict. And we can see 2,000 years later, Jerusalem is a strategic city, an important one, and there's conflict surrounding Jerusalem, right? And Festus, being the good leader he was, was aware of that. And while he was in Jerusalem, the high priest and the chief men of the Jews, they seized upon the new governor. They pled their case against his most infamous political prisoner, the apostle Paul. They wanted Festus to bring him back to Jerusalem so they could kill him along the way. But Luke says in verse 4, Festus answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea. It's now been two years since they initially tried to kill Paul. And two years later, they're still plotting to kill him. As soon as there's a new governor, they hatch a plot. Let's try to get him over here to Jerusalem. Maybe we can do him in on the way. And it's pretty easy to see that Paul's palatial incarceration. Remember, he's at the governor's palace. This was actually a blessing in disguise in Paul's life. These guys still wanted him dead after all these months and years. Did you ever notice how God uses different people in different situations that might otherwise seem like upsetting or difficult circumstances? Did you ever notice how God uses them as a means of his provision or protection for his people i took three of my seven grandkids to the store the other day and it's a bit like herding cats and if you have three or more kids or have ever had that experience i see some people saying amen from the back there you know what i'm talking about it's like 
herding cats and we get to the store and they don't have what Papa needs and we got to go to another store and look for it at another store, right? And it's in and it's out and it's coats and it's car seats and it's, it's, it's shopping carts and, and it's everything in the store. And, and Papa's like, listen, you got to stay right here when we're in the parking lot, right? I don't want you to get hurt. You're going to stay right here with Papa, okay? And to them, I don't know what they're maybe accustomed to with mom trying to tend to four kids and, and, and doing all this. But with Papa, it's like, no, sir, you're standing right here by me. And it's like, oh, Papa's a little strict, you know. Little do they know they were in protective custody, right? I had their best interest in mind. I didn't want them getting hurt. And while they were in my keep, no harm was going to come to them, right? When much the same way. That's precisely what's happening here with Paul. Uh, Festus says Paul is being kept just like those kids were being kept from the harm that was going to come to them if they weren't being kept. Some commentators even say that this was likely a season of rest for Paul. Imagine that. Instead of being on the road and running for his life everywhere he goes, instead of hiding in a basket being lowered over a wall, right? Instead of trying to make tents for a living, he's sitting in the governor's mansion, right? This was a time of uh, replenishment, some people believe, for the Apostle Paul in preparation for the next leg of his journey, which would maybe be the most challenging. So let's not mistake or misname or misrepresent the seasons of life in which we might feel limited or confined. Let's not misunderstand those as times that are necessarily unpleasant in our life experience. God may simply be protecting you or preparing you for the next leg of the journey as he was here with Paul. But once the governor arrives back in Caesarea and when the Jews stand against Paul at the tribunal, they bring charges and once again, Paul defends himself in verse 10. I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I am right where I ought to be. I'm right where God wants me. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that you're right where God wants you? Can you say in the middle of your circumstances, I'm right where I ought to be? When the Jews hatched the plot against his life two years before, Paul wasn't aware of it. But Paul's nephew, God's man on the inside, was aware of it. And now two years later, as these same plotters are asking for a change of venue in the trial, let's change the venue over to Jerusalem, closer to our home, home turf. I believe that Paul understands what's going on. And he says, no way. No change of venue. I'm right where I ought to be and I'm within my rights to ask to be appealed to go to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. He understood his spiritual position as a witness for Christ. The Lord had already told him, you've witnessed for me here in Jerusalem. I'm going to have you witness for me in Rome. He said, I appeal to Caesar. That's where my destiny is in Rome. You're not taking me back to Jerusalem. He had the word of the Lord. And understanding and being aware and engaging with his natural culture, he knew his rights as a Roman citizen. That's wise to understand your culture, the rights and privileges that you have in your culture. They don't supplant our heavenly citizenship. 
but they can serve our heavenly citizenship as this is happening right here with Paul in verse 11. I appeal to Caesar because that's where Rome is and Rome is where Jesus said I'm going. Meanwhile, this other politician arrives in Judea. Verse 13, King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, arrived and paid their respects to Festus. So this is a little convoluted, but think of it like our states and state government, local government, national government, senators, this kind of thing. Um, Agrippa's the overseer of this client kingdom of the Roman Empire near Festus' province. And as any visiting politician might do, he's paying his respects to the local governor, coming to see him. How are you, Festus? How are things going over here? And with a visiting dignitary passing through, particularly someone who is familiar with Jewish affairs, Festus, who has this conundrum, the Apostle Paul and the Jews and Paul and this guy Jesus, he's not intimately familiar with these things as Agrippa is. And so he explains the case to Agrippa, the case to Agrippa. And Agrippa agrees to let him hear the case the next day. Festus does with Agrippa. But this isn't a private hearing by any means. It's very public. Verse 23 says, amid great pomp, they entered the auditorium accompanied by commanders and prominent men of the city. Man, this is like a grand ball here with everyone, all the dignitaries in attendance, whoever we could get, not just the political ones, the military ones, all the brass, prominent people in society, man. Here it is. And we're going to be entertained by this conundrum of what to do with this guy, Paul. Do you see how God is positioning him here? The stage is being set for an epic testimony, an epic hearing. It's not simply a court case. The case is being made for the cause of Christ in front of everyone. Can you imagine? So think about this with me for just a minute. Is Paul in jail or is he living in a palace? Is he under lock and key or is he being well protected? Is he isolated or is he experiencing the company of his friends anytime? Is his ministry on hold or is his ministry simply being maximized in this moment? And the answer to all these questions is yes. Yes, he's in jail. And yes, he's in the palace. He's in custody but it's by design for his own protection. He's allowed to have his friends come anytime, the past governor said, and it's being continued in this moment. No one's been prevented. As for ministry, what might otherwise appear to be some sort of legal case has turned out to be a historic ministry opportunity and a witness for the kingdom that anyone maybe could ever have. As we take a quick look at Joseph's situation here in just a second I'm hoping we'll be able to see two things while we do number one is this God is so awesome God is so good God is so capable God is so wise and he's so kind that he can redeem any and every situation and circumstance for his glory and our good do we believe this today do we believe it today or do we just say it and oh, man I hope it works out somehow Look at how this is being orchestrated in Paul's life. Felix, this brutal, notorious governor 
who could have done anything with Paul said, let's put you in the palace. Let's keep you over there. So no, uncanny, unbelievable. God can redeem. He already has. And he does now. And he will yet deliver, the scripture says. And number two, I hope we see this. Sometimes the answer to whether or not we are in a prison or in a palace, whether life is on hold or we're being kept by God, whether God has us on the back burner or is priming us for the spotlight here, sometimes it's just a matter of perspective. In Paul's life, this wasn't prison. It was palatial protection. It's all a question of perspective. This wasn't the end of his ministry. It was a high point of his ministry. And I want us to consider this other example from 18 centuries before for just a minute. 18 centuries before the time of Paul and Festus and Agrippa, the life of Joseph, the life of Joseph. As you well know, Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, before he was a ruler in Pharaoh's household and all over Egypt, his life followed this arc. First, he was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. Genesis 37, 5. Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers about his dream and they hated him for it. And because they thought it cast them in a bad light. If, if you have a dream and it's from God, you don't have to worry if someone hates you for it. It's okay. It's okay. If it's from the Lord. So first Joseph was a dreamer. Then later he became a laborer. His brothers hated him for his dream. They sold him as a slave. And Joseph became the first in a long line of Hebrew laborers in Egypt. And Genesis 39, 2 says the Lord was with him when he was a laborer so that he prospered even in that challenge. God can prosper you even when you feel like you're on the back burner. You may feel forgotten, but you're not forgotten. Then Joseph became a prisoner. Looks like his life is going backwards, right? He has all these great dreams. This is wonderful. He's in his father's house. He's getting these wonderful coat of many colors, right? While his brothers are working in the field. He's his dad's favorite. It's great. I have all these dreams. Wonderful, wonderful. Now he's a laborer. Now he's a prisoner. It seems like things are going backwards, doesn't it? Genesis 39, 21 says, The Lord was with him when he was a prisoner. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And when you're in prison, favor in the eyes of the warden is what you want. How many of you know that it would have been really easy for him to give up in prison at that point? Being falsely accused and imprisoned, as Paul had been, by the way, and as Joseph is here in Genesis 39, yet the Lord was with him and granted him favor and was pleased with him. Lord, increase our faith today. If there's anyone here feeling like you're in prison or hemmed in, or have lost some freedom that maybe you thought you had or should have. So the dreamer turned laborer turned prisoner became a minister. First in the prison with Pharaoh's butler and baker interpreting their dreams. Remember that? And then the Pharaoh's cupbearer makes it back to the palace and he forgot about Joseph, but God didn't forget about Joseph. And in Genesis 41, verse 16, as a minister to Pharaoh, who also now had a dream, Joseph knew a thing or two about dreams. 
He had some himself. Joseph said to Pharaoh, God will give you the answer. God will give you the answer. And God did give him the answer through his minister, Joseph. God revealed that Joseph, through Joseph, that seven years of abundance were coming, followed by seven years of famine. God was warning them to prepare. And that's when the dreamer turned laborer, who became a prisoner before becoming a minister, became the ruler of the land. Pharaoh said in Genesis 41:40, You shall be in charge of my palace. See how I've placed you over all the land. Was he a slave or a ruler? Was his life on the back burner or was he on the fast track to God's purpose? Was he at the whims of others or was he stepping out into his God-ordained authority? And to his brothers who were jealous of him and hated him, the dreamer who turned into a ruler later would say to them, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. You intended, Genesis fifty twenty. you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And in Acts 25, with all the dignitaries standing around, his enemies intended to harm him. But God intended all this for Paul's good. Just as Joseph was in charge of that palace, God's about to place Paul in charge of this palace. He's about to captivate the courtroom just as Joseph captivated Pharaoh's court. It's as if God seems to enjoy doing that. Taking his people from the prison to the palace. Perfectly positioning them, despite the circumstances or the plans of man. And similarly, I believe that God is positioning you and protecting you regardless of the circumstances or how you feel or how they appear on the outside. Because sometimes, sometimes it's just a matter of perspective. What's your perspective today? Are you in jail or are you in a palace? Are you alone or do you have community? Is your ministry on hold or is God using the people and the circumstances that you're navigating in order to maximize your witness for him? Do we want God's will or do we want our own? Because let me tell you this, his ways of bringing us and bringing his will about in our lives, his ways are different than yours. His ways are not like mine, thankfully, thankfully. So don't be fooled. God has you right where he wants you and he's providing for you and he's protecting you. Each step of the way, he's ultimately bringing you into your divine destiny for his glory, for your good, and for the good of the people and the community around you. Just as he was with one Saul of Tarsus. Remember him? Paul might seem like he's a long way from home, but he's right in the center of God's will, or as he said, this is where I ought to be. And I believe that God is working to bring each of us right where we ought to be. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, it challenges our faith and it stretches our lives and our will and our resolve sometimes, Lord, and rightly so, as, as well it should. Lord, you are far above and beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. But yours is the power that's at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, as people who say and who pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, Lord, where the rubber meets the road in the circumstances of life when we have the question as to whether or not I feel like I'm in a prison or I'm in the palace, Father, we want to yield to you in that moment. Lord, we want to experience your empowering in the difficult times, whether as a laborer or a dreamer or a minister or as you may have it, a ruler. Your word says we will rule and reign with you. Father, I thank you that you are bringing us to the place you would have us to be. We simply want to cooperate with you. Help us, Lord. As the man prayed, help my unbelief, Lord, when we begin to doubt and wonder. Lord, help us in that place of doubt and wondering. Lord, help us arise in faith and to add faith by your grace according to your purpose. Add faith to this word we're hearing today and see you glorified in our lives and see people and lives and communities changed and affected, Lord, as we stand up as your witness in the time of your choosing, Father. And on the way to that day, Father, may we see how you've protected and positioned us each step of the way. Be glorified in us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you would stand with me from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able. God is able in whatever circumstances you find yourself. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That's not just enough. That's like more than enough is what that word means. God is able to make more than enough grace abound towards you that you would always, in every circumstance, have all sufficiency, everything that you need in all things, that you would abound to every good work. You'd have more than you need to do everything God's called you to do and to be the people he's called you to be. Thank you, Father, for your spirit at work in your people. Amen and amen. As always, listen, if you have any questions about anything that's said here or any of the ministry or a word from this morning, we invite that interaction. We would love to speak with you or to answer questions or talk about it further. Uh, so please don't leave this place wondering uh, what this was about or what was that part of the service like or why do we do the things that we do here. We want everyone to be on the same page in this in community and we'd love to communicate that with you. Also, if anyone wants to pray, as always, you're welcome to come here and we would pray with you this morning. Otherwise, God bless you all on your journey. Thank you for being here this morning.